All right, we're going to pick up at verse 17. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. Everyone say level place. This is not the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was on a mountain. And we're going to see that when we go to Israel. This is on a level plain, and the word in, in, in the Greek is pedenos, which means a plain, a flat area. So he came down with them and stood on a plain with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came near to him to be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. They were possessed and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out of him. And the word power is also virtue and the other term for virtue is dunamis. It's dynamic power. It went out from him. And then Luke, who's a physician, points this out. That power went out from him and healed them all. So 30,000 people estimated, many of them with ailments and possessions, and they're all being healed. A mighty move of God. And in the midst of this move of God and these brand new apostles that he's appointed and the disciples that are with him, he turns to them at this occasion and he gives this sermon. He gives this sermon. And he begins by lifting up his eyes towards his disciples And he looks out at him like he's looking at you. And he says this, Blessed are you poor. And we're going to see what the word blessed means momentarily. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice! Hmm. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. And then he gives all those blessings and he comes to the woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, but I say to you who hear, but I say to you who hear, are you listening? Hello? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit? Everyone say credit. The word in the Greek is charis, which means grace. But if you love those who love you, what grace is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what grace is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what grace is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for this sermon that you're giving to us now. And Lord, our ears are open. We hear you. And so, Lord, please equip us, bless us. Thank you, God, that these men and women are here to receive from you. Their hearts are open. Their minds are prepared. And Lord, by the power of your word, we pray you do a mighty work now in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. The reason why this isn't called the Sermon on the Mount is because if you see the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, then in Matthew chapter 10, you see the calling of the apostles. So the Sermon on the Mount occurred before the calling of the apostles. Matthew 5, Matthew 10. Sermon on the Mount, calling of the apostles. Luke points out in, um, in uh, chapter 6, verse 12, the calling of the apostles. And then now we come to verse 17 and we have the Sermon on the Plain. The Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain are similar and they're different. Jesus is laying out a foundation. He's also laying out some principles. But in one, the disciples haven't been called. In the other, the disciples have been called. And in this case, not only have the disciples been called, but you have throngs surrounding Jesus and they've gathered in mass, 30,000 following him. Great healing is taking place. People are being delivered from tormenting spirits. And all these folks are being healed. And Luke, who's a physician, is is, is writing this down. And at this moment, with the disciples and the apostles all present, people being healed, he now gives this sermon on the plain, completely different than the Sermon on the Mount, similar but different. And, and that's why we call it the Sermon on the Plain. Not the P-L-A-N-E, but the P-L-A-I-N. And the Sermon on the Plain, I like this kind of antiquated picture of Jesus speaking. But there's 30,000 people pressing in and as they're pressing in these tormenting of these unclean spirits, it's one thing to pray for someone's healing. And I, and I tell you, I, I, the only way I can relate to the picture of this passage is I've never really experienced it in ministry. I've, I've experienced it in the political world. In ministry, I've given messages to large groups. And at the end, I, I'm down at the front and people will come forward and I'll get to pray for them. But it's not a pressing throng. They're not waiting for me to heal them. They're not, it's not that way. But what I have found is especially when I ran for the assembly and we did 150 coffees in different homes and then we'd have large gatherings and I'd speak to them with, inevitably, and especially when we do the American Renewal Projects all around the country, inevitably at the end of whatever I'm sharing or speaking on, then they know that I'm, I have political acumen and I'm, I'm well-versed in it. They come up to me in droves and when they come up to me, they bring me their list of all the things they want me to read and the things that they want me to address and the things that they want me to take to the assembly or to the Senate because they have a contact point in a representative form of government and they want me to be educated on the policies that matter the most to them and I get stacks of reading materials and things that people want me to and books that they want me to and on and on and on and, I, and, and candidly, in my flesh, it's a little exhausting because... It, it's, it's just the nature. But what I find is the Lord seasons it so that I, I, I engage them and I, I truly am inquiring. Sometimes you get some wing nuts out there. And I mean, they're really out there. Like they don't have both oars in the water, a couple hot dogs short of a picnic, elevator doesn't go to the top floor, all the lights aren't on in the house. You know. I thought it was funnier. You know what? Hold that thought. It's St. Patrick's Day. You're going to get a St. Patrick's Day joke. And I've been waiting for St. Patrick's Day to fall on a Sunday for quite some time now. There's a man who walked into a bar 
Every Irish joke has to start with that now, you know. And he walks into a bar and he sits down next to a fella. He says to him, you from Ireland? He says, I am. He says, what part of Ireland you from? He says, I'm from Dublin. He says, I'm from Dublin. He says, what part of Dublin you from? He says, I'm from central Dublin. I'm from central Dublin. He says, what school do you go to? He says, I went to St. Mary's. He says, I went to St. Mary's. Okay, what year did you graduate? He says, I graduated in 67. He says, I graduated in 67. It's about that time Mary comes into the bar, says to the bartender, how's it going? He says, fine, Mary, except for the Murphy twins are drunk again. (laughs) And that has nothing to do with a sermon. And I have no idea where I am. <laughs> so as you're at these political events and folks are pressing in on you, your, your flesh gets a little tired, but you start to realize that what they're saying is important. And even the folks that are a little off, they actually have something important to say, and you kind of have to sift through it. And I've come to appreciate it because you grow in your understanding of issues that you necessarily wouldn't be involved in, and your understanding of the community grows larger. And I'm grateful for it. That's the closest I can get. I've been around folks who've been tormented spiritually. Some folks would decline, uh, describe it as demon-possessed. I, I've been there. I've, I've been to the psych ward in the inner chambers of the psych ward. I was visiting. And, I, and, you, <laughs> and in the midst of those psych wards, there, there is incarnate evil. I've seen it. And for those of you who don't think evil exists and that there isn't good and evil and everything is situational, let me take you on a trip sometime. I've seen it. It's real. And as I was giving the memorial service for Mike Russ yesterday, he had lived the majority of his life apart from God, and so the room was eclectic. There were a lot of folks in there that didn't give God the time of day. And I had, I had reflected on the fact that it's not how you start or how you live, it's how you finish. And Mike finished well. And I pointed out that God's in the business of reconciliation. And when he reconciled with the Lord, he reconciled with his wife, he reconciled with his children, he reconciled with his business partners, he reconciled. He sought forgiveness. He wanted to make restitution. That's a big move. Some of the folks didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that, that there was a minister up there. And, and some of them checked out, or at least pretended to. Because in a wedding, when I officiate a wedding, no one listens. But when you officiate a memorial service, everybody listens even when they pretend they aren't. Because we're face to face with our mortality. And the clock's ticking. And everybody has that in common. And I'm talking about, as a heavenly travel agent, I'm, I'm, I'm there to book them on a flight to heaven. That all, ro- all, all religions lead to God, but only one leads to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Truth isn't subjective. It's absolute. And as I started to share this, and I, I, I used Mike's life, some folks were somewhat offended. They didn't like me, and they didn't want to talk to me afterwards. And I, I, I knew they wouldn't, but I realized something as I've come to realize this in life. And this message and that entire day put a spotlight on it, and I pray it ministers to you. I'm called, based on the Lord's Prayer, our Father, He's not just our Father, those who profess the name of God. He is humanity's Father. He he created us. Our Father who art in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And it's a prayer that we recite, and the Lord says, don't use vain repetition. We still use vain repetition. But when you really stop and you think about it, it begins with our Father. You see, there's only two ideologies in all the world. There's we're accountable to God or we are our own God. We'll make God in our image or we will honor him realizing we've been created in his image. And you step into a world that is inundated with sin. Sin is selfishness. Sin is to reject our creator. Sin is to live according to our own rules as opposed to the one who gave us the dirt and gave us the air and gave us the water. And when God touches your heart and he changes you from the inside out and now you're his mouthpiece and you begin to speak, those that have rejected him reject you. And they don't like you and they stand like this and they say things about you and they comment. And especially when you step into public office, they'll say things. They'll write letters. And as you read those and you hear the whispers and the comments and the things, and you can get bitter. But the freeing aspect of it is the Lord says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And, and I, I, my initial reading was always, you're going to get rewarded in heaven and it's all good and it'll come later. And, you know, you're just going to, just preaching the gospel is going to make you offensive to the world. And, but you keep doing it. And, you know, most people face persecution because they're just plain irritating. And they think they're righteous. It's pietism. They're not righteous. They're just irritating. Okay, apparently no one agrees with me there. The word blessed is interesting. It's, I, I pulled it up. It, it's a, a Greek word, makarios, and it's this idea simply of happy. Not just happy. Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are you poor. Oh, how happy are you who hunger. Oh, how happy are you when men hate you. Now you read that and you go, wait a minute. Oh, how happy are you when you're poor. Oh, happy are you when you're hungry. Oh, how happy are you when men hate you. And the picture is simply this. Mike Russ was a happy man at the end of his life. And he couldn't have been more physically miserable. And you know what he said? He broke his neck. He broke his arm. His body was failing him. The, the last years of his life were riddled with pain and sickness. And, and he said, had, had this not happened to me, I would never have the relationship I have with God right now. This is phenomenal. And he's telling people how happy he is. And this is a man that would snowboard and snow ski and, you know, la vida loca, loco or whatever. He just crazy. And, and everyone partying guys. And here he is, is it, physically his life is just crumbling. He's dying of cancer. His body's breaking. And he's never been happier in all of his life. Now the folks that were over 50 were looking at me going, yeah. And I said, you know, let's just talk about poverty and wealth. Whatever the rich fly, I've flown in it. Whatever the rich drive, I've driven it. Whatever the rich eat, I've eaten it. And that's all there is. I don't want it. I don't want it. If this is all there is to life, what's the point? There isn't enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
And the older folks, and, and at 50 and 54, I'm, I'm over the hill, and now I'm picking up some speed. And, and some of the older folks are 80, 90, you know, they're like, oh, yeah. I mean, they have their faces back because they're going so fast. They're getting speed wobble going down the hill. And for a lot of them, there's way more hill. Don't worry. Just don't fall off. And, and I share this, and you can see the room divided but the idea of what, what God is saying to all of us and what he was saying to the disciples then is when you're poor in spirit, blessed are the poor, the idea is, you know what, Lord? With two options, there is a God and I'm not him or there isn't a God and I am God. With those two options, I've tried this like Mike Russ did. And it's a dead end. I'm going here. I can't do this. I'm poor in spirit. I can't operate without you. I need you. First of all, you have to humble yourself. And Mike did. God has a way of bringing us to the end of ourselves. And Mike would look at his riddled body and he'd say, you know what, God, thank you. I need you. And, and by saying I'm poor in spirit, God then says to Mike and says to all of us, now yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are about my business. You're about my kingdom. And you say, you know what? I'm happy now. Oh, how happy are you who hunger now? Lord, I, I, I lived this and it was void and empty. And now I, I, was, I, I, I was poor in spirit. And now I have a kingdom. And God, I hunger for this kingdom. I hunger for you. When... When Julie's talking about a Ugandan child prostrate before the Lord, weeping, that's a hunger for righteousness. God, I want your kingdom. I have seen the misery of poverty. I've seen the misery of selfish man. God, help my country. Help my family. There's a hunger for righteousness, and God says you'll be filled. How do you take an impoverished farmer's family that, that can barely care for their own biological children and then thrust on them 1,800 children that are now all getting educations because that's his kingdom. You will be filled. And blessed are you who weep now. Lord, this breaks my heart. These kids don't have anywhere to go. They don't have anywhere to live. They don't have any medication. They don't have anything. Lord, it breaks our heart what's happening in the nation in which we live. And then you fill Bayomba, you fill God Care School, and that, that, that school is filled with laughter and joy. Only God. Only God. And listen, there's poverty in a nation whose children are starving as much as there's poverty in a nation whose children are overweight. We all struggle. The hardest thing for me is weight. And, and yet, we, we go through these voices and these things and these... And you know what? God works it out. When we yield to Him, He takes us through this. He gives us a hunger for Him. He fills us. There's laughter. And then He says this, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, and they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. I used to read that and think, okay, this is going to be my calling in life. I'm going to be a minister, and everyone's going to revile me, and they're going to cast my name as evil, and they're going to exclude me, and they're going to hate me. Wonderful. 
and, and I'm going to get to endure that. And then the Lord adds, verse 23, rejoice. And in that day, leap for joy. I practiced that all night. Rejoice and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. It'll come later. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. And and as I was reading that, this one hit me. It's not that way. It is not that way. The beauty of it is, is when you are poor in spirit, God gives you his kingdom. And when you are hungry for righteousness, he fills you with his. And when you are weeping for the brokenness of this world, God causes you to laugh. And he does it on this earth. And yes, men will hate you and they'll exclude you and they will revile you as, uh, and cast you out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And, and I've experienced that. But this is the freeing empowerment of the Lord that he showed me. And I remember hearing it from a Catholic priest who had been a missionary. A missionary goes where he's not loved but needed. And he leaves when he's no longer needed but loved. And typically he's been martyred. And I thought about that. I say it often, you've heard me say it, people are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. Because this is our father. It's not an us versus them and we build our, 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 our encampments up in Montana. And we have our canned food and our AR-15s waiting for the people. They're not getting a piece of this. And we're, we, we worship the Lord. <laughs> no. He has just given this whole picture of ecclesia that you're to go into the world. And when you go in, you're not going to be loved, but you will be needed. And they're going to say stuff about you. And, and, and they're going to revile you. And they're going to exclude you. And they won't include you on their stuff. And I've been through that. And in the process of all of it, he says, rejoice, leap for joy. And your reward will be great in heaven. Not when you get there. It, it's now. His kingdom is on the earth. You're getting a chance to experience it. You see them come. You see a school of 1,800 kids rejoicing. You get to experience it now and in heaven. He said they did that to the prophets. But he adds these woes to keep us on focus. He says, woe to you who are rich. He doesn't doesn't reject wealth. Abraham was wealthy. Solomon was the wealthiest man. David was wealthy. Wealth isn't the issue. He says, if money is what drives you, You've received your consolation. If you lay awake at night wondering how to move your assets to avoid certain things, and giving to you is so difficult. Time to go to church. Calvary Chapel. Four dollars and sixteen cents. Here. Keep it. Lord loves a cheerful giver. That's a reflection of your heart. Fascinating. I was talking to the pastors, talking to Pastor Tony, who's our administrator, and talking with the other pastors in the community with the ta- change in the tax laws and all those other stuff. Every church's giving has dropped. Because we're worried about taxation. Keep it. 
That's your world. That's your consolation. You worry about that, and good luck with that. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. He loves a hilarious giver. Honestly, don't go into business with me. I will give everything away. I learned this from my mom and dad. They died with zero. They had no debt, but they died with zero. My dad always said, look at your thumbs. They're pointed downward. Everything just flows out. You can't keep anything. My dads were worse. They were like down here. There was always somebody at our dinner table. There was always somebody my dad was helping. There was always a single mom that my mom and dad were in. And and I would find people all over the place. And and I, I, I saw this in their lives. And I, I watched this, and they didn't even really know the Lord. But there was always someone, they, the Vietnamese family that came in, the, the, the way that it just was so precious to me. Woe to you who are rich, because if riches are what consumes you and your finances are what consumes you, that's your consolation. If you think that's how you're going to get from point A to point B is with your riches, that's your consolation. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Woe to you who are full. If everything for you is about eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die, you're going to be just as impoverished as anyone in Uganda. There's never enough. There's never enough. And you're going to be hungry. You're going to get to the end of your life, and you're going to realize, I have nothing to show for this. There are no U-Hauls that follow the hearse to the cemetery. The only thing going to heaven is people. And listen, I I hear this all the time. I'm going to give to the church when I die, or I'm going to give to my family when I die. You give nothing when you die. It's no longer yours. Seriously, it's not yours anymore. What are you, from the grave? And I want to bestow on... That's not yours. You are a steward. He entrusts it to you, and you have to give an accounting of it later to the one who owns it. And you go... Well, I gave it when I died. And God says, that wasn't yours. That wasn't yours. What did you do with it when it was in your care? I had a kung fu grip on it. This is hitting home, I guess. I'm sorry. But the idea is the consolation and being full in life is this idea that if... If your belly is full and that's your contentment as opposed to seeing the fruitfulness of your life and to see how you've poured into others and to see that reflection. I, I, every time we see the picture of the children that we have and the lives that we've touched and people I come into contact with, there's nothing more enriching to me. One of the things I love the most is having people thank me. I don't know what they're thanking me for and I don't even remember who they are. That is really cool. And I'm not even that good at it. But that's a joy. Woe to you who laugh now. You shall mourn and weep. If everything you are is just to be entertained and, and go with life and keep the radio up and all that, and there isn't anything about eternity in your mindset and the way you live, then, then that's the reverse of it. And then he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And let me tell you about how men speak ill of you. Oh, excuse me. Woe to you when men speak well of you. Let me tell you how that works. A friend of mine, Senator Rand Paul, uh, I went to visit him when I was back in Washington, D.C. Senator Rand Paul is a constitutionalist. He has, I think he has the Constitution memorized from beginning to end. The president uh, has put forward this executive order, uh, an emergency declaration to build the wall. Uh, Senator Paul is one of the 
Republican senators who didn't back the president, uh, and they need eight more to veto it at the Senate level. They don't have enough at the congressional level, at the House level. And he was reviled by everybody on the right because he didn't stand with the president. A few months ago, he was revered by everyone on the right because he did something in favor of the president. That's politics. They're going to hate you one day and love you the next. The same people that are being healed by Jesus are the same ones who are going to say, give us Barabbas, crucify him. People are fickle. They want what they want. And, and the cool thing about Senator Paul, whether you agree or disagree or your view of the Constitution, and, and I get people coming up to me, will you talk to Senator Paul and tell him, no, I'm not. Save it. Please. This is how he sees it. He's accountable to one, one master. That's the Lord. And, and he gets it wrong sometimes, and he gets it right sometimes. And guess what? You get it wrong sometimes, and you get it right sometimes. But the thing I love is that he is keeping this bearing, and he holds steady. And you're going to revile him one day and appreciate him the next. But the one you have to look out for and be worried about is the person that wants everyone to like them. They are like licking their finger, putting it in the air, and seeing where the wind's blowing, and that's what they're in favor of. Oh, the wind's changing. I'm over here. It's like trying to nail jello to a tree. It doesn't work. If all men speak well of you, you're doing nothing. You are just vanilla. Okay. That didn't resonate. So we have the blessings and the woes. I'm almost finished. In the blessings and the woes, the woe, the word for woe is simple. It's this idea of grief. And it, it grieves the Lord. But then it brings us to this passage that has the golden rule. The Lord says in verse 27, But I say to you who hear, and I repeated that three times because I know you can hear me, and the Lord is speaking to you. He says, Love your enemies. He gives you a directive, and it's an imperative in the Greek. You must love your enemies. It's an imperative. It's not an option. It's an imperative. You must love your enemies. So the directive is love, and the recipient is enemies. The directive is to love, and the recipient is your enemies. The directive is to love, and the recipient is the enemies, your enemies. And then he says, here's how you do it. How do you love? Well, first of all, you do good. And who's my enemy? Those who hate you. How do you love? Well, you bless them. Bless who? The people who hate you. How do I know they hate me? Because they curse you. You pray. That's how you show love. You pray for them. Pray for who? The people who spitefully use you. Hmm. To him who strikes you, you give him the other cheek. From him who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them. There's the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do to you. But actually the way the Lord describes is he says, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. You see, this is in the positive. This is in the positive. The golden rule found in Luke 6.31, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. 
They say this is a golden rule in every religion. Well, yeah, it is, but it's always in the negative in every other religion. Here you have in Hinduism and with Confucius, uh, do nothing to others that would hurt you if it were done to you. This is in the negative. That which we do not wish to be done to us, we do not do to others. You just don't do it. But the Lord is giving us an imperative that we must do it. You love if you want to be loved. You give if you want to receive. It's an imperative. You are the ecclesia. You are the leaven infused into this earth to cause it to rise to the glory of God. You are his people. And this is how you do it. The people who revile you, the people who hate you, the people who speak ill of you, love them. And when he says, you say to the Lord, who are my enemies? It's the people who hate you. It's the people who curse you. It's the people who spitefully use you. It's the people who strike you. It's the people who steal from you. And what do I do? How do I love them? Very simple. You do good to them. You pray for them. You bless them. You give to them. That's rough. I mean, that's rough. When we're selfish. You know what's really wonderful? This kingdom isn't mine, it's his. I'm a steward. I remember one guy, Bud Edmonds, he was the owner of Wilshire Paint in Fresno, California. We were trying to improve the most impoverished school or the impoverished district in all of Fresno. It's called the Lowell District. All the immigrant families and the slumlords, and it was just a it was it was near the Fulton Mall. It was awful. These houses were just crumbling. And we had this move to to lift this inner city. And so all these youth groups went in and the police removed the parole violators. Churches adopted these slumlord houses. We had Bud Edmonds from Wilshire Paint donate the paint. We went in and painted the houses. The slumlords loved it because they were ripping off the tenants and they loved getting their house painted for free. And some of you are going, well, that's just a waste of God's money. Whatever. It was Bud's money, not yours. And we go in and paint those houses. Yeah, the slumlords loved it, but you know who loved it more? The tenants. And then we'd host vacation Bible schools and after school reading programs, and we started loving on those kids. No one would ever give them the time of day. And by 1997, Fresno became America's finest city, the, the highest crime rate drop in FBI statistic history for a city that size. And I remember taking my youth group kids into Bud Edmonds' uh, paint company, and he was an older guy. I said, Mr. Edmonds, would you share with these kids why you're doing this? I mean, you're giving away paint. And literally, we'd come in there, and he'd give us the, the paint sprayers. He'd give us the brushes. He'd give us, and these kids weren't good with it. They'd slap it on. They wouldn't clean the machines properly. He had his staff have to clean them out properly so he could re-rent them. I mean, it was, it was trying, and, and we tested him. You know, he needs some more. <laughs> Praise the Lord, here you go, because I just gave you some. And I, what, are you drinking it? I mean, I don't know what's happening with the paint. And, and it literally, over $100,000 of paint, and this was in the early 90s, and he sits him down. He says, you know, Rob, I'm, I'm, I'm older in life. I'm on the downhill slope. He said, I didn't come to Christ until late, just much, much like Mike Russ. He said, and, and my whole life has changed. He said, I just said, God, what's left of my life, I want it to count for you. He says, and, and I've given over $100,000 in paint. In the mid-90s, that was a ton of cash. I've given over $100,000 in paint, and my warehouse was broken into, and they stole over $150,000 in paint. He says, you know what? I can't give it away fast enough and they can't steal it 
faster than the Lord replaces it because of over 700 paint manufacturing companies in California. I'm one of two that's had a sales versus sales increase and a, and a profit margin in the state. He said, you can't outgive God and they can't steal from him. And the people who stole from me, I'm painting their houses. And my kids heard that. They heard that. If I were Bud in the flesh, I would make my profit and move out of that stupid city and go somewhere where I can build a compound with some canned goods and raise my kids properly. There we go. The Lord says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and bless those who curse you. I'm almost finished. If you want to know how all this is summed up, we saw the golden rule, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. In every other religion, it's a negative. But in Christianity, it's the positive. You see, you stand upon this moral prerogative of God's kingdom and his principles. And and there's a way you do it. You don't sit there and drill it into people's heads. You stand upon that firm foundation of those principles that are so important to their lives. You keep your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. And in the midst of it, while people are reviling you because they don't like it, they don't want to hear it, it is contrary to what they've been raised with. And here you are standing upon these principles, not compromising so everyone blesses you and calls you wonderful. You stand on it. People will revile you. They're going to be upset with you. But you do it lovingly. You do it generously. You do it prayerfully. You do it patiently. And you do it with a defiance and a resolve that will cause them to break. And you will wear them down. And they will come around in this lifetime. And I've watched it. One of the people that reviles me the most, and if I had to pick them, and say, that person is the one that's the bane of my existence? I have been praying for them. You know how hard it is just to pray for somebody that really irritates you? I pray for them. And you know what happens? God doesn't even change them. He just, he's so brutal. He changes me. And in the course of me praying for him, he puts me in positions where I see them in a whole different light. And I go, gosh, Lord, they're just like me. Yeah. And I love them as much as I love you. Had to say that, didn't you? And then you get an opportunity to bless them. You're like, I'm going to get them back for what they've done to me. And you have this opportunity to get them back. And then you find yourself blessing them. And you're like, you know, that wasn't too bad. And you just reflect back on Bud Edmonds. People set this example for you. And do you know that that person has been to church three times? Not this church, but has been to church three times. They wouldn't darken the doors here. They've been there th- the last three weeks in a row. That's the Lord. I will tell you right now, that's a miracle. And then I close with, but if you love those who love you, what grace? is that to you for even sinners love those who love them 
And if you do good to those who do good to you, what grace is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what grace is that to you? For even the sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. You know, in the last service, we had a young fellow back there who had screwed his life up so bad and has a record so long that there isn't an employer in this city that would employ him. And he comes out of Teen Challenge after a year, and he couldn't get anyone to sponsor him. He showed up at this church on a Sunday. The Teen Challenge was here. He came up to me sobbing. He said, I need that. We invested in him. We paid for him. He went to Teen Challenge. He came back. And where do you find a job when you're a guy like that? You come to the church. A church is a place that reflects this sermon on the plane. A church is a place that understands grace. We've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. We understand charis. We've received it, so we give it. He was raising his hand back there. Do you know he has been serving as an usher and he's been pouring himself into this church? He's gotten married. He's raising a son. He's employed. He's pouring into other addicts to change their life and have God use him. That's the kingdom. And I'm laughing with him and I'm rejoicing with him. I'm not waiting to heaven. I'm seeing it. That's charis. And if you're waiting for people to give to you, I give so that I can receive, save it. It's not kingdom ministry minded. You're just like the world. You've got to take a chance on people. You've got to branch out. Let me tell you something. He's talking to his disciples. He took a chance on every one of us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. Gave his life as a ransom for us. And he said... You were at enmity with me. You were my enemy. And I loved you. I loved you into the kingdom. And you know what? You had so much debt. And I have been lending to you. And you have flushed it. You have wasted it. You have a terrible, terrible credit rating. And I still give to you. I want you to do it to others. Some of you are going, oh, i got a great credit rating. Okay, maybe on this earth, but you got a lousy one with the Lord. Love your enemies. Do good to those and lend, hoping for nothing in return. We always want our, our interest rate. Your reward's going to be great in heaven. And I conclude with these last two slides. St. Augustine said, to give good for good is natural. To give evil for good is devilish, but to give good for evil is divine. Now, the thing that touched me the most, and I think is a great gift from the Lord, his grace is so freeing. I love living on this earth and not hating anybody. No matter what they say to me, by his grace, I can only love them more. Do you know how much 
joy that brings me, how freeing that is. I don't hate you. To the contrary, I love you. How can I bless you? What can I do? You're going to revile me. I won't revile back. I'm not going to change my position, but if there's something I can do for you, just tell me. They're not angry at me. They just don't like the message. And I don't hate them. I love them. Because you're just like me. And I receive grace, and doggone it, I'm going to give it. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I deserve judgment from God. He gave me mercy, and I need mercy, so I'm going to give it to you. You've hurt me, and I'm going to overlook it. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. You didn't hurt me. You didn't even hurt the Lord. What can I do to open your eyes? Because you know what? I have received so much grace from God. And just remember this. Grace received is grace bestowed. If you got trouble giving, I don't really think you know who you are in the Lord. And I don't think you've listened to the sermon on the plain. His kingdom is one of grace and mercy, forgiveness and love, patience, long-suffering. It's not one of compromise, but it is one of generosity. Do you want an empty life or do you want to leap for joy? Do you want to rejoice and laugh and be in a room of 1,800 kids and seeing a young African child prostrate before God and have your perspective changed? Hey, listen, you're here because of grace. Grace received is grace bestowed. This is the marching orders. This is the equipping of the kingdom of God that was given to his disciples that changed the world. And now it's yours and mine. And I'll tell you what, radical transformation happens when you apply the grace you've received and you bestow it upon the ones he loves. And you know who he loves? Your enemies. Your enemies. 